It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are seconds away from hearing the daily Locked On podcast you love, but I'd like to tell you about another podcast I think you'll like. Rejecting the Screen, hosted by NBA experts Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, features provocative interviews with NBA stars and unique perspectives from around the game. Subscribe to Rejecting the Screen wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings, Hoops Heads. Welcome to Locked On Warriors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Wednesday, May 30th. I'm your host, Aliko Carter. So I've had a day and a half to let it sink in. The Warriors are back in the finals for the fourth straight year facing the Cleveland Cavaliers for the fourth straight year. I remember when I was a kid in the 90s, early 2000s, it was never hatred at the fact that the Warriors were losing. It was always like they were our lovable misfits. I think part of that was that they scored so many points. Uh, It was fun to watch them play basketball as they went through coaches, Eric Musselman, Mike Montgomery. And it was fun because the NBA was fun. I mean, you don't play in a vacuum. You play other teams. And they competed. They really did. Antoine Jameson, you know, Gilbert Arenas for his short period of time, Jason Richardson. I mean, the dude competed his way all the way to the number one three-point shooter on the Warriors team before Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson came to the team. He shot 2,000 threes for the Warriors. And then, of course, the Baron Davis acquisition changed everything. Baron Davis, so talented, so good at reading the defense and getting the ball where it needs to go, so bullying down in the post, a really big guy for a small guy, and not a bad three-point shooter, I believe. He had a few seasons where he was down near 33 32%, but he made them when it counted. He made some big, big shots for the Warriors. And then the trade that brought in Steven Jackson and Al Harrington, that was a special season. I was a senior in high school during that season, and it was the most exhilarating feeling to be at a game, a playoff game, a Warriors playoff game. Finally, I paid 60 bucks to get in and I was at the tippy, tippy, tippy top of Oracle with my buddies from high school, Patrick, Bart, and Gio. And it was the loudest, craziest thing I've ever been a part of and I've been to finals games. You know, there was nothing more exhilarating in my sporting life than being at the game that the Warriors won, game four, at Oracle Arena. Baron Davis made a half-court shot at the halftime buzzer to tie the game at 49. And the Warriors went on to beat the Dallas Mavericks 103-99. to It was a close game. It was a nail-biter, but the Warriors had it. They beat the Mavs in six that year. It was... It was crazy. And then, of course, a long playoff hiatus with Monte Ellis as the guy. And a few years of that, he scored 24 points a game a couple of times. And the Warriors squandered draft picks. I mean, I remember uh, Patrick O'Brien, Ike Diagu, Ekpe Udo. I mean, what were we thinking? And Udo's still in the league. The other two guys didn't really make it. 
But they did draft Stephen Curry in 2009. There were some really tough years after that. Some really tough years. And then Mark Jackson came along and Mark Jackson changed the culture. I will give him credit for changing the culture. Of course, you also have the sale of the team for a then record $450 million. This was after the previous ownership led by Chris Cohen, managed by Larry Riley and coached by Don Nelson picked Stephen Curry because they saw something in him. But then they sold the team and Don Nelson retired to Hawaii. But Mark Jackson came in and changed everything. I give him credit for changing the culture of the team, the defensive culture of the team, the mythos of the team. That's where Just Us came from. They still do that before every game. Just Us. One, two, three, Just Us. That was Stephen Curry and Mark Jackson coming together to rally the team around a mentality that they could do anything if they worked together. As it came to pass... Mark Jackson was also crazy, proselytizing, uh, shutting out guys like Jerry West from practices, rubbing assistant coaches the wrong way, and rubbing players like Andrew Bogut and Festus Azili the wrong way as well. When the Warriors lost in the first round of the 2014 playoffs, new owner Joe Lacob had his opening to fire Mark Jackson and hire Steve Kerr, which he did with haste. After the firing, I definitely believed in Steve Kerr from the very beginning. I mean, just hearing about how he brought a binder of suggestions of how he would coach this team into his interview, hearing him be so, so, so smart on TNT broadcasts. He was my favorite color commentator, and I think TNT is worse off without him, but the Warriors are better off without him, obviously. And then, of course, his work as a GM was checkered with the Phoenix Suns, but did trade for Shaquille O'Neal, which nearly changed everything, and the team under Alvin Gentry went to the conference finals. It's kind of ironic now that he's starting a lineup of four guys who are shorter than 6'7", 6'7", or shorter, and Kevin Durant. Considering how important it was nearly a decade ago for the Phoenix Suns to acquire some size. But yes, Steve Kerr, such a great hire. I really felt good about it. Obviously, they're kind of bosom buddies. They golf together. They do things together. I don't care. I really don't. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't care if they're friends or not, if Joe Lacob is friends with Steve Kerr. I just, I appreciate Lacob bringing in intelligent people who are willing to work together for the greater good of the franchise. And that includes bringing in Bob Myers from his work as an agent, Jerry West, the logo, who was instrumental in the Warriors not trading Clay Thompson for Kevin Love, to the associate head coaches, Alvin Gentry, Mike Brown, and of course, Luke Walton, who led the team to a 24-0 start in 2016, 73-10. But I want to go back to 2015. I felt like there was a very special moment for the Warriors to ascend to the top. They were only going to get better. Bogut was healthy. Curry was poised. I mean, it had been that like he scored 54 points in Madison Square Garden in 2013. And this is the 2015 season we were talking about. So I predicted the Warriors to win the championship. I felt really, really good about it. And I almost made a bet on it. I tried 
the day before the season started, the day of maybe, and I just couldn't figure out how to deal with Bovada. I've never done sports betting. I had never done sports betting before. I didn't have a bookie or anything like that, but the Warriors were 28 to 1 that year before the season started. 28 to 1. I was going to put down a $2 bet, a uh, $200 bet. Nothing crazy, you know, to have gotten 5600 back. Ah, I kick myself whenever I think about that. And of course, they did go on to win the championship. And I was watching at Finnerty's, which is a very well-known San Francisco bar in New York City in the East Village. And uh, that was that was my cheers. I'd been going there since 2012, back when the Warriors were bad. And uh, it was much more of a Giants and 49ers bar back then. And I got them to turn on the A's games for me. Uh, if you don't know, I'm from Oakland. I'm a Warriors A's Raider fan. And... On Sundays, I just wouldn't go to Finnerty's because, uh, you know, there's not much love lost between 49er fans and Raider fans. But the bartenders really took care of me. The owners, Dieter, Brian, so awesome. If you're ever in New York City and want a taste of home, definitely go to Finnerty's. Tell them Maliko sent you. They'll know. So I was at Finnerty's for game six. I was visiting New York at the time. I had moved back to Oakland by that time, but managed to finagle my way to New York to be at Finnerty's for the deciding game. And that place was packed and it was raucous. As the clock hit double zero, the champagne began to spray. There's video of it on Twitter. I was there with a bunch of friends. It was so, so incredible. I got more wasted than I ever have in my life on that day. But you wouldn't have known it from my bill. Thank you, Finnerty's. Worst hangover ever, but so. So worth it. The second championship was dope. Getting Kevin Durant was dope. Even like losing to LeBron and seeing LeBron's greatness on display as the Warriors kind of, you know, shot themselves in the foot. Stephen Curry was hobbled. Draymond had trouble keeping his arms and legs in place. I'm honestly kind of happy for LeBron and the Warriors got Kevin Durant out of losing the finals. So I think that's a win for both teams. And the third championship will hopefully be dope, but nothing compares to that first one. And I don't think there's going to be anything in my life that compares to the childhood experience, the teenage experience of going to a Warriors playoff game for the first time. Thank you for going on this journey with me. Stay tuned. I'm going to talk about what we can expect from this finals, and then we're going to go down the Reddit hole in the third segment. Is there anything more craveable than the smell of McDonald's fries? If someone's hiding an order of fries, they're never hiding it well. It takes one whiff to trigger a fry craving that will only be satisfied the McDonald's way. So stand up if you would like to taste the smell of a McDonald's fry right now. Did you just stand? Because if you did, then you earned yourself a trip to the McDonald's drive through for your own steamy carton of crispy golden goodness. ba da ba ba, -ba. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Lenovo. At CDW, we get putting productivity within reach of remote employees. That's why I'm WFC, working from couch and moving everything within arm's length, like the microwave. Lunchtime. You should talk to the experts at CDW. They can orchestrate a more efficient workspace solution using light, powerful devices from Lenovo to keep your teams productive from anywhere, couch included. Yeah, but do they have grabber claws? Whoops. IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Learn more at cdw.com slash Lenovo client. 
And we're back. You can get this podcast at iTunes, iOS, Google Play, Spotify, and LockedOnWarriors.com, as well as LockedOnSports.com, Facebook, LockedOnDubs, and LockedOnNBANet. And you can find me on Twitter at Kojitare, K-O-G-I-T-A-R-E, or at LockedOnDubs. I tweet from both accounts. I also write for Forbes.com. You can check out all my credentials at LinkedIn, A-L-I-K-O Carter. All right, what can we expect from this finals? Obviously, my pick is the Warriors, but there's going to take a lot of basketball and a lot of adjustments to get to that point. I think the Warriors win in six. I think they do it on Cleveland's four again. And that's just because LeBron James is that good. I'm giving them two games. I gave Anthony Davis two games in the first round, and he only won one, but the series was well fought, and Anthony Davis was very good throughout. I think that LeBron is head and shoulders above basically everybody playing basketball right now, Uh, but it's partly because he has to do so much. If Kevin Durant were on a team with J.R. Smith, a concussed Kevin Love, and the motley crew that they have some good players but not great players not players that do everything well or multiple things well uh and not players that play defense i think you'd see kevin durant scoring 38 40 points a game grabbing rebounds out the wazoo and doing all that stuff i don't think that lebron is necessarily that much better than kevin durant but kevin durant plays on the stackedest team that ever existed this team is stacked Talent wins out in the National Basketball Association. It won out in Game 7 of the Conference Finals, and it'll win out here. One thing I have been thinking about a lot, and I've said on this show, but I want to expound on it, is just how important Stephen Curry is to everything that the Warriors do. And wanting him to really have that recognition by winning a Finals MVP award. I think... That's probably not going to be the case. I think Kevin Durant is going to be finals MVP. But this might be more like a Kobe-Shaq thing where Kobe was integral in winning those first three championships and Shaq was still the more dominant player. And he was just so dominant. Stephen Curry is magical, but I wouldn't call him dominant in the way that Kevin Durant is dominant. And what I mean by that is that you can't necessarily trust Stephen Curry to take over an offense if he's trying to do it. It happens organically and then he just explodes. Whereas Kevin Durant slices you up into little pieces and you die from both. You die from Stephen Curry magic. You die from Kevin Durant dominance. And one I think is more explosive than the other. I think Stephen Curry is so explosive that you really have to appreciate what he does on the court when he gets into that supernova mode. But Kevin Durant is just going to slice you and dice you and just, you know, a thousand little cuts, sometimes some big cuts. He does so well off the ball, but if you put the ball in his hands, he's going to get buckets. Now, obviously, that can't be the entirety of the Warriors' offense during this finals, but you're going to see a lot of it. You've seen a lot of it the entire playoffs. Simple offense in the finals, simple simple offense when everything slows down is sometimes very useful. Sometimes 
it's not. In, in certain moments, you really need the ball to swing back and forth, up and down. You need movement off the ball, screens, everything like that to tire the defense, to get open shots. But sometimes you just need one guy to get a bucket. And for me, that's not Stephen Curry. It's Kevin Durant. And I think that's why he wins finals MVP again once the Warriors do finish out this series. That was me knocking on wood. I would love to see Klay Thompson's consistency come back. He was so consistent in the regular season. And, you know, I want him to consistently be scoring 25. I mean, honestly, like that would be wonderful. But he does go up and down. But with the defensive liabilities of the Cleveland Cavaliers on display, I think Klay is going to be primed to break out. I, you know, J.R. Smith, he gets stuck behind screens. Uh, who else is going to be guarding him very much? Kyle Korver, maybe. Uh, Kyle Korver is an all right defender for 35, but I think Clay can roast him going around those screens, moving so well without the ball. And obviously, Draymond, one of the best screen setters in the entire league. Kavon's getting better at it, too. I think this is a good series for Nick Young to show what he can do offensively. I have a feeling he'll be a bigger part of the rotation in this series than he was in the series against the Houston Rockets. And people are looking forward to J.R. Smith versus Nick Young. Should be fun. Draymond. What more can I say about Draymond Green? He's got to keep the turnovers down, but he's been every bit the defensive player of the year in the playoffs. So now we see maybe he didn't necessarily take a step back in the regular season as much as dial it back so that he would be ready for the stretch run. He knows, we all know, the Warriors are trying to get to the finals and win it every single year. That's what they're doing. It is a monumental task. And the Warriors still won 58 games this year with a 75% effort from Draymond Green. Now we're getting the 100% effort. That means recovering loose balls, boxing out, contesting shots, contesting shots everywhere around the court. Playing 44 minutes, not settling for the three-pointer, assisting the ball, and the rebounds. My goodness, Draymond has never rebounded like this in his life. Or at least not since he was at Michigan State. So he needs to just kind of keep doing what he's doing. I'll get to Steph tomorrow, but one thing I want to talk about is finals fatigue. People having an issue with the Warriors and the Cavaliers meeting in the finals for the fourth straight year. And I just... I'm a Warriors fan, so I love it. I want to beat LeBron so badly. I want the Warriors to crush him. But as a fan of the NBA, how can we not appreciate, one, what LeBron has done over the last eight years, and then going back to 2007, where he took a Cavs team to the finals? And how can we not appreciate how beautiful the Warriors play basketball, how incredibly they compete on offense and on defense. Continually top three in offense and defense every year. The last four years, you add Kevin Durant, and you've got the most stacked team ever. Who doesn't want to watch the most stacked team ever? I mean, Real Madrid just won the Champions League. People watch Real Madrid even if they don't like Real Madrid. And Real Madrid continually finishes top two, top three in La Liga. You might hate Ronaldo and all those guys, but even hate watching is watching and people will watch this finals. Complain all they want. This is the ultimate matchup 
to spread the global brand of the NBA. The best player versus the best team. Can you imagine Celtics versus Rockets in the finals? I mean, I would hate watch that, but I'm not a casual fan. I watch the NBA. Like it's my job, which it is. The Celtics would have some draw because they're the Celtics, but they'd be without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. They're two big money guys. Al Horford, not necessarily as much of a household name. And the Rockets have the presumptive MVP, but they're not the Warriors. The Warriors are a phenomenon. They're in a bigger market. They have more likable players. And they play Jogo Benito, the beautiful game, as I said before. The Rockets play the analytics game. The analytics game almost won, but it's not pretty. So to the detractors of this series, I say, would you really rather watch Celtics versus Rockets? If your answer to my question is yes, then we'll just agree to disagree, and I respect that. But make sure you're being honest. Outside of Texas, and of course the Celtics have a global following, and the Rockets are big in China because Yao Ming opened the door, but it can't compare. The basketball will be better with the Warriors and the Cavs in the finals, and we'll be better off for it. Like I said, I'm a fan, I'm biased. I will admit to my bias, but I also think that my argument is sound. We're gonna go down the Reddit hole in the third segment, stay tuned. Today, every answer matters more than ever before. Because whether it's about health, deliveries, or finance, some things just can't wait. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage millions of calls, texts, and chats with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to help your customers find the answers they need faster, no matter the industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant to learn more. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. We're back. We're going down the Reddit hole. First thing I see. Redditor Yellow Baboon posted a Wall Street Journal story. Thanks, Yellow Baboon, for breaking the paywall for us so we don't have to. It's about Clay Thompson, and he is apparently the best chess player on the Warriors. He plays chess every day. Apparently, he has chess boards throughout his house. He plays chess online, but he's not as good online because he'll put his phone down, pick it up, and forget his entire strategy. But his friend Seth Tarver basically says, don't back baby into a corner that's when clay strikes so he could be playing all nonchalant and shit but then once it seems like you've got him in a corner clay's strategy unfolds he plays against andre Iguodala. of course andre plays chess by the way of course he does like we might be surprised about clay now that i think about it it actually makes a lot of sense that clay uh, plays chess but andre if somebody were to ask me does andre play chess i'd be like oh yeah andre plays chess i don't even have to know i just know Andre's in the know. Andre is thinking many steps ahead at all times. Definitely go find Yellow Baboon's post. Read the story. It's great. Redditor Throw Up Dax teased us with some clickbait, said, Guys, as a Warriors fan, I cannot take pride in this victory. You click on it, and he says, Without first praising the toaster. The toaster. 
We love the toaster. The toaster is the new Lil B, the base god. But instead of cursing other teams and other players, the toaster has blessed the Warriors. Or maybe it was the front office drafting three all-stars and all that jazz. From Redditor Southwick75344, Connor Letourneau at the San Francisco Chronicle was talking to Curry, said Curry, I'm going to play aggressively, confidently to help my team win. Whether that means I'm finals MVP, who cares? And I love that attitude from Stephen Curry, but I care. I definitely care. I want that finals MVP trophy to be on Stephen Curry's mantle. I just, you know, obviously we love Kevin Durant and he's already cemented himself as a warrior for life. Hashtag warrior for life. But Stephen Curry is the Warriors. He's the Warriors identity. He is the Warriors everything. Redditor Byroon has this from Warriors PR. Andre is out for game one. What does that mean about the series? It means that Kevin Durant is going to be doing a lot of the guarding of LeBron James. And we hope, and obviously, LeBron is going to be spending a lot of time on KD as well. That's a very exciting matchup, along with Nick Young versus J.R. Smith, of course. Would love to see Kevin Love out there as a basketball fan. Not only does he give the Cavs a better chance to win, but the Cavs play more fun basketball with him on the floor. But without Andre, without Kevin Love, this game is still, game one tomorrow, is still going to be hard fought. Kevin Durant's going to get tired. Guarding LeBron and being the number one option on the defensive end, well, number one, letter A, Curry, Durant, who cares? There's going to be a lot of switching action. They're going to be hunting for Curry, and it's going to be interesting to see what adjustments Steve Kerr comes up with if he does switch everything, continue to switch everything. LeBron backing down Stephen Curry is not a good look. Redditor Robotsore, very active on the Warriors subreddit, has this from Warriors Fast Break. Since Durant joined the Warriors, they're 7-2 against Cleveland and have won those games by an average of 15 points. We're going to take a look at the games that the Warriors and Cavaliers played against each other this season. Both games were before the big trade that the Cavaliers made. And so there's not so much we can take from that except for the play of LeBron James and Kevin Love. The guys they're starting, though, are guys that were on the team already, aside from George Hill. Redditor Real Bainey has this from uninterrupted. Draymond and Nick Young interviewed each other to see how much each one knew about each other, and it's actually pretty funny. Among other things, we get to learn who Draymond Green's nemesis is, and it's not who you'd expect. Redditor Curry1992 has this from Steve Kerr, says Iguodala's doing better today. There's some encouraging signs, but he's out. Said KD, Clay, Sean Livingston, and Draymond will all get time on LeBron James. Looks like everything but the kitchen sink is the plan. For the Warriors against LeBron James, should be fun to see. Redditor 23252729 has this from Chris Herring at 538. Finally, an explanation for why Kevin Durant's shoes keep falling off. I mean, it happens a lot. KD, according to 538, has shed one sneaker every eight games. He loses his shoes more than any player in NBA history. Extensive video analysis done by 538. From Durant's games of the past three seasons and postseasons reveals that the four-time scoring champion has come out of his shoe at least 31 times since the beginning of 2015-2016. I have two pairs of KD9s and one pair of KD10s and I will say the design 
makes it very easy for a player to step on the back of your foot and have you slide out of your shoe. It's more like a slipper than really a basketball shoe. It doesn't have a tongue. You can tie them tightly, but it doesn't really make sense to because then you're just constricting blood flow to your feet. So you just really slip them on and they kind of hold on to your foot. And Kevin Durant's feet are weird. They're long. They're skinny. So it's no surprise that they come off so often given the slipper-like nature. But longtime Warriors equipment manager Eric Hausen has worked 29 years with the Warriors. He thinks that it's Durant's versatility that nobody is asked to do so much except for maybe Giannis or maybe LeBron, who has very, you know, LeBron's shoes are much more of a mid-top. And if you have a pair of LeBrons, you know they're not coming off of your feet. But this is a long story with quotes from Durant. Herring did a great job going really, really in-depth into Kevin Durant's shoes, Kevin Durant's mind, the history of how Durant fell in love with kicks. Definitely worth a read. Thank you, Redditor 23252729. Also from Redditor Curry 1992, post-game, Stephen Curry greets his older daughter, Riley, in the tunnels of Oracle Arena. She's being held by Curry's dad, Dell, and he greets her and they have this adorable little handshake. It's pretty special. Definitely worth a look. Riley is still adorable. Ryan is adorable. Their third baby, probably going to be adorable. It's just really not fair that this family even exists, you know. But they apparently have God's favor, or at least Steph believes so. Redditor Birdman73U with two A's gives us a video from B-Ball Breakdown about the referee in Game 7. A lot of Rockets fans felt wronged by the refereeing, felt like there was a ton of contact that wasn't called. So B-Ball Breakdown had Ronnie Nunn, former head of the NBA Referees Association, to come on and give his thoughts on the refing from this game. Nunn basically confirmed what I thought, which is that two times Jordan Bell did foul James Harden on three-point attempts and they should have been called. And then another in the third quarter, Klay Thompson got Harden on the arm as he was going up for a shot, but they correctly apparently called that on the ground because his guide hand was not on the ball when the contact was made. Apparently that's a big one. Another one from the third quarter. Eric Gordon beats Draymond Green off the dribble. Draymond follows, but Jordan Bell rotates. And Jordan Bell goes up vertically, and Draymond comes from behind and blocks the shot, recovers the rebound, and the Warriors are off on the fast break. According to Nunn, this was a clean play. A lot of body contact, but clean nonetheless in that Jordan Bell went up vertically, and Draymond didn't do too much to impede Gordon's upward motion. A lot of Rockets fans are angry about that call, or non-call, excuse me. The expert says it's clean. Anyway, it's about a 15-minute video. I'm not going to go through the entire thing with you. I do have to end this podcast at some point, but definitely check it out. Interesting stat from Redditor Mr. Nationator. This is the oldest Warriors team in the franchise's 70-plus year history. Fascinating. They're nearly 29 years old, 28.8. Never had a team older than that. I wonder where he got that stat from. Ah, basketball reference, of course. This is fun. Robot Sore 
Thanks, Robot Zor. Players who've made seven three-pointers in a Game 7 in NBA history. Stephen Curry. He did it against the Rockets a couple of days ago. And he did it against OKC in 2016, back when KD was still a Thunder. Gotta love Robot Zor for giving us yet another example of Stephen Curry magic. That's about as much time as I have to talk to you today. Thanks for tuning into this extended podcast. Tune in tomorrow. We'll be breaking down the games that the Warriors played against the Cleveland Cavaliers this year, and I'll be talking about what I, what we can expect from Game 1. Tomorrow's podcast will be out significantly earlier than today's. Don't you worry. The game is at 6 p.m. I hope to get this pod out in the morning, so definitely look out for it. I'll see if we can get Miles on the show, too. Get his perspective. Once again, thanks for listening, and stay thoughtful, Hoopsheads. Hey, Bay Area sports fans, this is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you're looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.